Ladies and gentlemen, dear family and friends, let's welcome Alexander the Grape. He's going to minister this morning. Let's give it up. Well, good morning, everyone. Okay, I am doing a PowerPoint presentation and it will be up by faith in the name of Jesus. It's there. Well done. Thank you. So, um, we have been talking about the gospel of the kingdom and explaining what that means. It is really important because it's the central theme of scripture right from generations to revolutions genesis to revelation the good news is a phrase that we use in english the gospel that is a technical word that was used of the emperors and the caesars to proclaim their birth their coronation and their conquests in, in defeating the barbarians the early followers of jesus took that technical word evangelion and they filled it with their own messianic meaning and they reused it as a means of evangelism to say that there is a greater emperor right. a greater caesar who's come and he was born on this day he entered into the work of his kingdom on that day he defeated god's enemies on these days and that was the good news of jesus christ the king Amen. and essentially the gospel or evangelion is that god is king and god is becoming king in and through his son jesus and the key text is uh, from isaiah chapter 52 isaiah prophesied 700 years before christ and he used this technical word in the greek translation of the hebrew old testament it says how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring the evangelion the good news who proclaim shalom that's the hebrew word of all encompassing peace and order and well-being who bring the good news of salvation that word is yeshua in hebrew who say to zion your god reigns so the good news is that god reigns as king and he's coming to reign as king to bring salvation so that there may be God's wholeness, order and well-being, His shalom that fills the earth. That's essentially the story and the good news of the kingdom. Let me then explain just a bit more of the story of the kingdom in terms of summarizing what especially Greg taught over the last two weeks. So the basic framework that under, underlies scripture the, the, the kind of philosophic thought world that underlies the Bible is this age in which we live and the age that is going to come. It's a this age and a future age reality that undergirds, underlies the Bible and all that it teaches. And you'll see how this works out now in what I'm going to explain. The Bible works from creation design in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Um, God's creation design is that God creates all things and human beings as his image 
as under kings or deputy kings to rule and reign over his creation. The fall of humanity into sin and rebellion against God meant that Adam and Eve gave away their God-given authority to rule over creation to the devil, to evil. And evil now rules in this present evil age. And Satan, the kingdom of darkness, rules through sin, sickness, demons, death, pain, poverty, injustice, etc., etc. But the Bible clearly talks about three things. The promise that God will become king once again. And the fulfillment of that promise in Jesus. And the eventual consummation when Jesus returns. So the key words are promise, the promise of the kingdom, because things have gone fundamentally wrong in this age. God created all things good, and human beings very good, but then human beings messed up. And things became not only bad, but very bad under the rule and reign of Satan. So there's the promise of the coming of the kingdom when God becomes king once again. And the promise goes to the end of when God does become king. But that end actually enters history and is first fulfilled and then consummated. There's a two-part coming of God to become king, which we will see. So just to summarize then the Old Testament promise. So Ryan spoke about the paradigm of the Exodus when God brought Israel out of Egypt after 400 years of slavery. And the story of the Exodus is God comes as warrior king to deliver and save his people in a new Exodus by dramatic signs and wonders and miracles that defeat the key Egyptian gods. All ten plagues represented ten Egyptian gods that were defeated. It was power against power, kingdom against kingdom. And the inferior kingdom succumbed to the greater kingdom Amen. of God's coming and delivered his people. That's in the Jewish mind, even today in modern Jewry, the Exodus event is the Mount Everest in their minds that is the defining paradigm for Jewry, for Judaism. That God um, keeps the microphone going. Um, the second paradigm in the Old Testament is of the monarchy. David and Solomon, in their rule, in their kingdom, is a prototype of the coming Messianic kingdom. And that then is defined more specifically through the prophets, the prophetic hope, which, which Greg spoke about last week. And that is really important. So what I have here is what Greg referred to as Isaiah's IMAX movie. Um, on the next slide. Thank you. So, Isaiah's... I, have you guys ever seen an IMAX... been to an IMAX movie theater? Yes. If you've been to the USA in Disneyland, you sit very close to the screen and it's, you have 3D sound and it's all three-dimensional and you wear those glasses and the creatures come out the movie and move around you yeah. and you can grab them. Yeah. It's like a a full, complete sensory experience. And Isaiah, who prophesied 700 years before Christ, is the prophet 
that saw most clearly by the Holy Spirit the coming, the coming of the kingdom and prophesied the kingdom. So it's, it goes like this, starting from the top left hand side of the slide, if you follow me um, in the diagram, Isaiah continually says, Yahweh will come. One day Yahweh will come. When he comes, he'll come in his servant, which is the suffering servant, the messianic servant of God, who will bring the kingdom. And Isaiah continually talks about the water that's going to run in the desert. And the water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Yahweh will come in his messianic king, who is the suffering servant, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in Isaiah there is, there is incipient or implicit Trinitarian understanding. When that happens, it's the day of, of the Lord. That's the phrase that is repeated in the book of Isaiah. And in that day when God becomes king through his servant in the power of the Spirit, salvation will happen. And salvation in the Hebrew is Yeshua. And it, Isaiah uses it 22 times. It's a key word of Isaiah. Jesus' name, uh, when he was on earth, was Yeshua. And uh, there are, were many other children that were called Yeshua by their parents in the Jewish community in hope that they would deliver Israel from the oppression of the Romans. If you go to Portugal today, and uh, there's Teresa, Portuguese, you will hear parents calling their sons Hey, Jesus, come here. And when I was in Lisbon years ago, and when I heard that, I looked around and said, Hey, Jesus is here. And then you see this small, snotty boy coming, walking. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a fairly common name. But Yeshua, salvation, is described in Isaiah as a holistic salvation, and not just the forgiveness of your sins. And we need a holistic understanding of the gospel of the kingdom, and not reduce the gospel to one aspect of the gospel. So the, the, the personal gospel of, 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 of personal salvation is reduced to the forgiveness of sins by the blood of Jesus. And it's not a biblical gospel. When the king, when God becomes king and there's salvation, this is what happens. And these are references in Isaiah throughout Isaiah. God will forgive sins. But also God will heal people in their bodies. <clears throat> there will be freedom and liberation from all forms of oppression. Both political economic oppression as well as spiritual oppression from spiritual powers. There will be justice for the poor and for the marginalized and for the oppressed. There will be the rule of shalom. Peace in our English Shalom in Hebrew is a very key word of the comprehensive, holistic abundance and prosperity of God. It's God's well-being and wholeness that will rule and reign over all disorder and all chaos when the King comes. It's a big picture holistic vision of salvation, not just personal, private, spiritual and sin. It is social, it is ecological because it speaks about New earth and new heavens, about the resurrection of the bodies. It speaks about the festivity when God will have a big party when He comes Amen. on His holy mountain. Right. And he will, he will bring out Mielus Rubicon hey. 1982. Hey. 
For those of you who know that, for those of you who don't know what I'm referring to, you just listen by faith. <laughs> Jesus turned water into champagne. Hallelujah. This salvation that is comprehensive, um, I think it's maybe this connection that's moving, but I mustn't move. I'll stand still. <laughs> this holistic picture of salvation when the king comes produces a new people that's no longer just Jews as the people of God, but Gentiles and Jews reconciled in one new humanity. It produces a new Jerusalem. It's not the physical Jerusalem in the Middle East, but it is the new Jerusalem in the heavenlies that comes on earth that is already expressed in the church. The church that is reconciled black and white, Jew and Gentile, male and female, master and servant, all different people, is the prototype of the new Jerusalem that will come from heaven to earth. We are already living on earth as the new Jerusalem. Um, is this, does this need to be in direct contact with that? So I will put it here in case. Maybe it's missing the link. Oh well. Let me carry on. Otherwise I'll just use the other mic. It produces new heavens and new earth. And it brings judgment and the end of evil. So dear friends, on the next slide. That comprehensive picture and vision in Isaiah that unfolds as you progressively through the book of Isaiah, 700 years before Christ, that theology and framework filled Jesus' mind and was his frame of reference. It was in fact his worldview. So young Jesus, 30-year-old rabbi, who goes to John the baptizer in the wilderness and joins his disciple community and learns from John and then is baptized by John at some point and begins his own ministry. That young rabbi had studied the Hebrew scriptures as he lived for 30 years in Nazareth as he grew up in his hidden years of spiritual formation. And the rabbis in those days used to memorize large passages of scripture. And even today, all Orthodox Jews in general, have learned all 150 psalms by heart, and they pray them by heart. So imagine if you and I had to learn just 150 psalms by heart, and that your prayers to God are filled with Holy Spirit-inspired words of the prayers of David. So we've lost the art of memorization, so that the very fiber of your thinking is the Word of God, and the very content of your speaking is the Word of God, we've lost that. We are largely biblically illiterate. And when you talk about, to some younger generation people today, about the story of Jonah and the whale, they think that Jonah swallowed the whale. But Jesus was so full with the Scriptures, He had memorized the Scriptures, he had studied Isaiah and the book of Daniel that, that Greg spoke about also last Saturday. That became his worldview and frame of reference. And he, when he began his ministry last Sunday, yeah. did I say Saturday? He could have done it on Sunday. He could have done it on, he was, he, he was preaching at, 
practicing on Saturday and I overheard it by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. But <laughs> this young rabbi, 30 years old, when he began his ministry, he intentionally, purposefully, in a strategically disciplined way, implemented what he understood Isaiah taught. He believed he was the one of whom Isaiah spoke. He believed he was God's servant who would be the Messiah to save Israel from her sins. When his parents named him Yeshua, the name is Yahweh saves salvation. He'll save his people from their sins. So the kingdom of God in Jesus was fulfilling the Old Testament promise. All the prophecies and promises in the Old Testament of the coming of the kingdom, Jesus believed he himself was actually fulfilling in principle and in power. And he very intentionally, clearly had a worldview, a frame of reference, a belief system in his mind. From the Old Testament scriptures, through these lenses of the Exodus, the Davidic monarchy, and then the prophetic hope, and he implemented it. But just to say, the kingdom of God didn't only come in the ministry and the death and resurrection of Jesus. The kingdom of God already broke through in his conception and in his birth. Because Jesus was conceived in his mother's womb before the wedding. And he was, she, he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit because his mother was a virgin. So from a social point of view... In Judaism of the day, it would have been extremely controversial that she was pregnant before the wedding. And uh, the angel had to appease or pacify and reassure Joseph because Joseph was a righteous man and wanted to break off the engagement, the betrothal, and send young Mary, 14-year-old, probably 15-year-old young Mary away was of the social embarrassment of an illegitimate pregnancy. But the angel appeared in a dream to Joseph to say, don't worry, you're not the problem, God's the problem. The, Holy, the child born, conceived in her is, is by the Holy Spirit. And you will call this child Yeshua because he will save his people from their sins and he is the son of God. He's born of God. So, the birth, the conception and birth of Jesus, the birth of Jesus was, was surrounded, according to Luke, by a tremendous outpouring of the Holy Spirit and prophecies. When, when Mary, before she gave birth, went to her cousin, her, um, Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the baptizer, John the baptizer in the womb of Elizabeth jumped for joy by the Holy Spirit by meeting Mary, knowing that she would fall pregnant with Jesus. Yeah. And, and Elizabeth prophesied, the Spirit of God came on her. Then Mary prophesied. Then Zechariah prophesied. Yeah. Then Anna prophesied. Then all around the birth of Jesus is, is cosmic phenomena of the visitation of angels, the outpouring of the Spirit and prophecies, right. after 400 years of silence from heaven. So is as Israel was 400 years in Egypt under the suffering silence of slavery, yes. Yahweh came as a warrior king to deliver Israel out of Egypt. 
of the 400 years of silence from the last prophet in Israel, who was Malachi, who ended prophesying 430 BC, God was silent. There was no prophet in Israel for 400 years. Suddenly, in 5 BC, Jesus was born not on the year naught. We think of before Christ and after Christ. That's the Julian calendar, but more accurately, Jesus was born 5 or 6 BC. When he was conceived in his mother's womb, it was supernatural. Angels appeared and spoke. When he was born nine months later, it was attested to by cosmic phenomena and prophecies and outpourings of the Holy Spirit. Basically, it was saying, God has broken silence. It is the new dawn of a new age. The kingdom has come. The Jewish king has been born. The Mashiach is born. And King Herod, who was the Jewish king, his nose was put out of joint. And then you know the sad story. He massacred all the male babies under two years old in the Galilee area. The the guys are going to Fraser's farm. Is is that right? Or wherever. God bless you. There's a mass exodus, but I hope it's not by what I'm saying. Um, So just to say the gospel of the kingdom is not about the cross of Jesus. It's about the birth of Jesus and about the life of Jesus and about the ministry of Jesus and about the death of Jesus and about the resurrection of Jesus and about the ascension of Jesus. The gospel is a package deal. Don't reduce it to one event in the life of Christ, which evangelicals have done. So the kingdoms come in the birth of Jesus. The kingdom has come in his baptism. When he was baptized by John the baptizer, the Holy Spirit came on him and he was anointed. Mashiach. The Hebrew word Mashiach is the anointed one, the king. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit to begin his kingdom ministry. Then he began his ministry by announcing the kingdom. His mission, his message... And his ministry was all about the kingdom of God. And next Sunday morning, I have the privilege of teaching you again. And I'm going to talk about that more specifically as fulfillment of the kingdom. But in his message and in his ministry, he did miracles that was attesting, testified or confirmed that the kingdom had come in and through the person and the ministry of Jesus. And the kingdom was present and powerfully at work, defeating sin, because he said, your sins are forgiven you. Defeating sickness, because he said, pick up your bed and walk. Eyes be open. Defeating demons, because he says, demons go, and they obeyed him. Defeating death, because he said, come back to life, and people came back to life. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, in the tomb, Lazarus had been in there already, four days, Jesus was very specific to name him and say, Lazarus, come out. Because if he didn't, all the dead would have risen. Because he was the king. And the resurrection had already begun in in history. Then in his suffering and death, he he was the suffering servant fulfilling the prophecies of Isaiah, especially Isaiah chapter 53, undergoing the judgment day. He drank the cup of God's wrath on 
not only Israel's behalf, but on behalf of humanity. And the end time great judgment of Yahweh actually took place in principle in history 2,000 years ago. Where on the cross, Jesus was judged in our place. On our behalf. By taking upon himself our sin, our rebellion, our sickness, our demons, our death. And he died our death in our place so that we might never die and rise again and have eternal life. That's right. So the great judgment day is the cross. That's why God blotted out the sun. The first three hours from 9 o'clock to 12 o'clock on the cross. He was nailed to the cross at 9 o'clock and Easter's coming soon. Was the wrath of human beings laid on Jesus because everyone who passed by cursed him and swore and spat at him and tore his beard and they cajoled him. And then God blotted out the sun at 12 o'clock. From 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock on the cross, he endured the wrath of God after enduring the wrath of human beings and drank the cup of God's judgment on our behalf to atone for sin. Have you heard the word atonement? Atonement is at one mint to make us one with God. We who are separate from God because of our sin can now be one with God because of Jesus' atonement for sin on our behalf through his death. The resurrection and ascension of Christ vindicated all that he, all who he was, all that he said, all that he taught, all that he did, culminating in his death. Of atonement on the cross. He was vindicated to be true and real. The eternal son of God. Who became incarnate. And death was defeated. And in his resurrection. 40 days later. 50 days later. He ascends. 40 days later. He ascends into the heavens. To sit down at the right hand of God. And receive the fullness of the kingdom. And to rule and reign. That's his coronation. And in his coronation. When he ascends into heaven. He pours out that kingship on the church, which is Pentecost. Pentecost, 10 days after the resurrection, 40 days after his resurrection, he, he ascended into heaven, sat down at the right hand of the Father, and rules and reigns, and pours out that kingship, that power of the Holy Spirit into the church. At Pentecost, the church receives the power of the kingdom and explodes outwards. With the gospel of the kingdom to the ends of the earth to, to all nations. So that, dear friends, is the overview story of the kingdom. Which is called narrative theology. So the last slide. Um, if you could, thank you. This slide, which I will pick up next week, is basically the most important slide which represents Jesus' worldview. Worldview is the way we view the world. Our underlying assumptions, ideas and belief of how we see reality. And this is how Jesus saw reality. So I'll just make a few comments and I'll explain more next week. Starting from the left-hand side of the diagram, God creates all things good, entrusts creation to human beings with authority to rule and reign as kings on God's behalf, but the fall of humanity into sin leads to this present evil age. That phrase is from Galatians chapter 1, which is Paul. 
Paul calls this age the present evil age, in which evil rules. Satan is the god of this age. Satan is the prince of the power of the air that's working in and through the sons of disobedience. Let's say the children of disobedience, because women are disobedient only sometimes, and men most of the times. But the children of disobedience, whereby those people do the will of Satan on earth as it is in hell. As opposed to God's people who do the will of God in, on earth as it is in heaven. So we live in this present evil age. But the Old Testament promise is that one day the king will come. One day God will become king. And when God comes, it's the day of Yahweh where he's going to sort everything out and put everything to right. Everything's going to change. And there'll be the, the new age where heaven has come to earth and the kingdom of God is established on earth. That is the future age. Go to the top right-hand corner of the diagram, the future age. The Old Testament promise is about the coming of God at the, at the end, the future. But the mystery is this, dear friends. That future age broke, has broken into history already 2,000 years ago. The Old Testament prophets only saw one coming of the king. They only saw one end of this age and the beginning of a new age. They only saw one day of Yahweh. But what's happened is the mystery of the kingdom, which I'll explain next week, is that the future has already broken into the present in Jesus 2,000 years ago. And in principle and power, the kingdom has been inaugurated. It's been fulfilled awaiting consummation. So you get this mystery of the future coming in in the M&Ms. How many of you have been to America and you know M&Ms, Smarties? So the message and the ministry of Jesus, he brought the kingdom, his death, his resurrection, and P for Pentecost, where he poured out the power of the kingdom on the church. The kingdom is present and active and working in and through Jesus. It's been fulfilled in principle and power, yet it is not fully here. And we await its consummation when Jesus returns. So the key phrase is this. The kingdom is already among us in principle and power. It is not yet fully here. And we await its fullness and finality at the consummation, at the return of Jesus. And we live in this mystery of the overlapping of two ages. You and I live between the future age and the present age. I have eternal life in me because I'm born again. I have the life of eternity already in me, but still in a mortal body that's growing older every day. And so in me, I have two ages that are in tension and at war with each other. I have the new age of God's kingdom and eternal life in me, but I still have the old age that is battling against the new age and is actually um, in you know, anticipation, groaning in anticipation yes. of the liberation of my body into resurrection. Right. When I'm overtaken at the consummation of the new age when Jesus returns. So dear friends, promise, which we've covered through the three lenses of the Exodus, 
the monarchy and the prophets. Fulfillment of the kingdom in Jesus and the consummation which we will come to at the end. And we will unpack this fulfillment a bit more next week. Let's stand. Thank you. In fact, Ryan, why don't you close? Yeah, 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 you close. You would recall that when we started a couple of weeks ago, I alluded to the fact that John Wimber said that when you get the kingdom, every book needs to be rewritten. I want you to know this, that as we increasingly rediscover the power and the extent and the fullness and the wholeness of the gospel of the kingdom, it will set our lives on fire. This thing that we are being called to is far grander. And over this series, we're going to be dipping into all of this stuff to lift our vision higher so that we have greater expectation. Alexander, you are a wonderful blessing and gift, not just to Freedom House, but the churches. Can we just give thanks to God for this man? We love you and we bless you.